John chapter 4. I want to look at the woman at the well just, just by way of introduction here. Um, <clears throat> and let me start, let's see, for time's sake here, let me jump through this because I'm not going to go through this text. I just want to bring, bring out one thing to allow me to springboard. So let me see, I, I had on here about 20 some verses to read, but I'm going to I'm going to jump around a little bit as how I'm going to do it. So just try and follow me. This is Christ. He, he must needs go through Samaria in verse 4 because just like we saw this morning with the Ethiopian eunuch, there's one there that needs to hear. And this is going to be this woman that's there. And uh, at verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water to Jesus, uh, to draw water, Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Um, verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And that would have really just grabbed her attention, by the way. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus saith, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. And now Christ gets to the heart of the message with her. Jesus saith unto her, All right, go call thy husband. And come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And she's, she's, she's trying to use wisdom here and protect her shame. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And thou, in that thou saidst truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. So then she, she sort of changes direction here a little bit. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. For ye, ye worship, and you know not what. Um, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worship shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father uh, uh, seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and, and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. I ask your blessing upon the message tonight. I pray that you be glorified and honored. Please help me to stay true to your word. I pray that it would be a help and draw us closer to you. And if anyone is here who has not truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that this evening. They would repent and place their faith in Christ, Lord. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, before I 
get into this account right here, the woman at the well. Let me start off with this. There's times that we fail to recognize what we have. Um, and, uh, and when you do that with something, you actually cannot use that item. Like, you know, these little watches uh, that, that today. It's just amazing what all they can do. I, I have no clue. But I can never use this thing to its potential because I really don't know all that it could do. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago. Somebody was in my office, and I didn't know you could tap it twice, and it dims out. I had no idea. That's why I was like, what, what, what did you just do? And uh, Because I, I don't have that knowledge of it. But there's a lot of times there's things that we possess that we don't even know what all they can do. And if we don't have that knowledge, we cannot use them to the extent of how they were designed. Uh, one of my favorite things I remember reading, I, I like reading when, uh, I, think, I think Brother Jordan and Brother Josiah, did you guys both work a service desk for a computer, like call-ins and, and before? And I, I love reading of th- those guys' experiences. One of my favorite ones was a lady who had called in, and she called in to get help on her computer. She calls in, and the guy uh, answers, and he was telling the account. He said, she said, the lady called in, and she said, this is the computer I have, and my cup holder broke. And he said, well, what, what model computer do you have? And he said, ma'am, it doesn't come with a cup holder. He says, no, mine does. Mine comes with a cup holder. He says, and he, he was confused in trying to see what she was talking about. He says, I push this little button, and the cup holder pops out, and I can set my cup right in it. And it broke. Of course, that's the CD-ROM drive at the time. And so she could no way use that computer and how it was designed because she didn't know what she had. She thought she had a little cup holder. Well, many times it's true in our Christian life. We limit ourselves in our ability to draw close to God because we don't even understand what we have. We don't understand all that we get with the Lord where the Bible talks about to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The woman at the well, the reason why I chose this text, I was, I was debating between several because there's more examples in this than just the woman at the well. When people didn't realize what they had with God or who it was they were talking to, like the woman at the well here. And Christ tried to be clear right from the very beginning. So the woman comes and all of a sudden this man speaks to her. That would be stunning to her. Here's a Jewish man that's going to speak to her. One, she's a woman and she's Samaritan. And as she said, you have no dealings with us. And he asked her, well, why don't you, why don't you, you know, give me to... Uh, to draw. And, and anyhow, so the conversation begins, give me to drink. And, and, uh, and she was confused by that. And, and, and she, she was shocked. How is it thou being a Jew? Ask this drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. And, and he said, listen, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, you would be asking me. But she didn't understand who she was talking to yet. And it began to get clear, and Christ went, on to, Christ went on to begin to try and draw this out of who he was. And he said, listen, if you knew, you'd ask water of me, this, this water that leads to everlasting life. And, and she's like, Go, give me this water. By the way, that's a great example of, of what goes wrong many times when, when we're witnessing and soul winning to people. We get them to that point, and, and yes, I want to go to heaven. Yes, I want that. Okay, well, say these words. That's not it. Oh, I want everlasting life. I mean, let's face it. How many of us in our soul winning classes, when we get somebody to that point, we say, let's pray. But Christ doesn't do that, does he? And by the way, this is one of the examples that did change how I witnessed is the woman at the well. And, <clears throat> and so Christ says, you know, go, go call your husband. And so then we see the deceitfulness of women. This is where the message is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
she says, she says, I have no husband. And technically wasn't lying. And Christ, and then she realized who she's, she's beginning to realize now who she's talking to. Well, that was well said, I have no husband. You've had five. And the guy that you're with now isn't your husband. You can just see the conviction setting in. So he begins to deal with her sin. All right? And I'm not going to, again, I don't have to go through this whole story. I'm getting a little bit off target from where I want to go with this. The point I want to make is, and where he ends up bringing her, is trying to get her to understand who he is. Because he knew, if you understood who it is that's talking to you, you would be wanting from me. You would be wanting this water that I could give you. You'd be wanting, you'd be wanting to strengthen the relationship with me, but you don't understand who I am. Now, we have, all of us here, this is the Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage. I mean, I mean we're, we're, we're in church. We have a, a, a good understanding, a solid foundation of who God is. But really, there's so much more. And the more, the more we do learn of him, the more it should cause us to want to draw closer. So what I want to do is try and bring out some things just to remind you, to try and encourage you to draw closer to God. Things that I think will genuinely help you strengthen that walk. I'm not going to deal with the walk. I think we have a, a decent foundation. I hit it all the time what it is, but just try and give some motivation behind it. And so there's a few things that I want to look at. I'm going to look at three things here. First, let's go over to Psalm chapter 73. Go to Psalm chapter 73. <clears throat> The psalmist here in verse number, this is not a psalm of David, um, but look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God, but God is the strength of my heart, and get this, and my portion forever. Now, if you were to look up that phrase where God is my portion, it's found several times in the book of Psalms and in different places. So the the first thing I want to bring out here is, is the truth of God being your portion. I believe the fact of that is a huge motivator to us wanting to draw closer to God. Just like Christ telling the woman at the well, if you just had this knowledge of who I was, you're the one who'd want to draw close to me. And the Bible draws out here that God is our portion. Now, I, I have five children. Four of them were just year after year after year. We had four kids uh, uh, all together at one time and uh, growing up. So we had all these little kids running around at one time. You know, at one time we had four kids, five and under. And so and we got to watch them as they grow up. And, and once they all, once the youngest, once Bethany at three and four years old, and we had to watch them interact with each other, it was always interesting, especially when it came to like games and toys. Um, I remember in New Guinea, they went on this, I think every family has to go through the game of risk, like a, a kick, a time frame when they have to go through that. And so you, you would see as they begin to set up the board and everything like that of, you know, who got what continents and what countries and what was your portion versus what was my portion. And one of the greatest things I remember, they just got the board entirely set up. Levi, where's Levi? Where's Levi at? Levi, where, oh, he's out there. All right, I see. Levi is just a little guy. He's probably 18 months old. The board's all set up. And he walks over and takes their board and just goes, boop, and flips it. And if you know what it takes to set that up, that was quite the big deal. 
And I pulled Heather off of him, pounding him on the face over and over. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> At Christmas time, they had this thing that became like a tradition to them. Every Christmas, uh, usually my mom would send the majority of our Christmas presents. She was amazing when we were in New Guinea. She spent more money on sending boxes and stuff that was in the boxes. She was an enormous encouragement to my kids and the family, and she always tried to send boxes. And at Christmas in New Guinea, she went overboard for my kids. And she would send just present after present after. We'd go there. I'd have five or six huge boxes from her for my kids for Christmas. And, and so, uh, uh, and she usually tried to have them ar- arrive around the 1st of December because that was our supply run. I, I, I wouldn't go back till January. So she knew that. So she tried to have everything mailed out. She'd have to mail it in October for us to have it by the 1st of December. And so I would go there. We'd get everything. We'd take them back home. We would, set the, we would set the tree up and put all the presents underneath there. And then it would begin. It would begin. Every single day till Christmas. Not kidding. They would sit down by the tree, and they would divide the presents out. Daniel's, Heather's, Rachel's, Bethany's. And they would count as to who had the most. Who had the biggest portion. And, of course, we were trying to control this in our sovereignty in the home to make that equal. So I kept, like, four or five of the kids' presents every year. I still know. (laughs) But they wanted to see who had the biggest portion. Do you understand that God is our portion in this world? There's nothing better than it. Not wealth. Not fame. He is our portion. Nothing beats that. Nothing. You, you can try and search for your portion or whatever. There's nothing. The psalmist here, by the way, Psalm 73, Psalm 119, there so many places, when the, and those are different psalmists, when they realize it, you can see where it literally revolutionizes their life. Here, this guy's in distress, but he said, listen, all I had to remember is who my portion is. I understand I'm going through this difficult time right now. I understand it's rough right now. But what I do know is who's my portion. And that's God. Nothing beats that. I mean, think about it. What would you give up for your relationship with God? And if something comes to mind, there's something wrong with you. There, there, there's nothing you should give up in, 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 with that relationship with God. Nothing. He is our portion. And when you begin to see that, everything does change. It drives you towards God, not away from Him. It motivates you. It leads to proper obedience. And this, this he was even drawn a strength from. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, he mentions it as well. I've already thrown out the verse 57. He says, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Notice the punctuation there in Psalm 119, verse 57. Look how it's motivating him. Because God is my portion. I have said that I would keep thy words. It's leading his obedience. Do you understand how important it is to have the, and I stress this, but honestly, I stress it because I think we miss it all the time, to have the right motivation for obedience. Listen, if your motivation for obedience is simply the presence of authority, and, and that's a motivation, it is. I mean, we use that in our society. We, I mean, there's not a culture on the earth that doesn't use authority as a measure of obedience, usually to keep civil, uh, keep the culture civil. But listen to me, in your Christian walk, if, you are, if, if your obedience is simply because the presence of authority, what happens when no authority is present? 
Really, what happens? The obedience goes away. That's what happens. The obedience goes away. That's like with parents with your kids. That's why, and I told, I told my kids growing up all the time, you, you've heard me say it, you don't impress me when you're obedient when I'm around. You have to. That's a no-brainer. But I let them know, and, and with sincerity, you really do impress me when you're obedient and I'm not there. And they also know, you want to see me hurt? Let me find out about that disobedience when I wasn't there. If the reason for your obedience before God is simply the presence of authority, you're missing what it's about. You're missing what it's about. If motivation is based on for you to look good. Oh, you'll do right when others are around so you look good, but you're not going to do right when nobody else is around your home alone. Doesn't matter to you then. Just doesn't matter. If your motivation is simply a desire to serve, which we can have that. What happens when that desire wanes? What happens then? What happens when that, when that emotion of the, the winds of revival die down in your life? And then what happens? What I'm saying is, one thing that helps us draw closer and stay consistent is when we realize the Lord is our portion of how great that is. It does help you to stay obedient. It helps you to have the joy while we're being obedient. Again, the psalmist's motivation, as he says here, for his obedience and being in God's word, obeying it, was God was his portion. There's nothing better than that. You can see it over and over in, in, in this world when they're trying to get their portion as they see it. Their measure of success. And when they get there, it's just pure vanity. And we went through the book of Ecclesiastes looking at that over and over and over again. Again, if you are saved, the Lord is your portion. He's what it's all about. Number two, look over in the book of Nahum. Head over to those minor prophets, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. I have to go through the song in my mind when I do that, but I'm not going to sing it. It's the rap version. I'm just kidding, it's not. Nahum chapter 1 here. So this is another thing I want, I'm going to try and motivate you to strengthen that, that, that walk, to draw closer to God. He's your portion. Verse 7. Look at those first four words. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. I'm going to look at those first four words. The Lord is good. He is. So often we can allow different circumstances in life to cause us to question that. And then that in turn, the devil can use that all day. He will hound that in your mind and hound that in your mind because that does affect your ability to draw close to him. He is good. The world isn't. Do you understand that? The world is not. The world is cursed. It's, it's a mess right now. It has been a mess since the fall. Really, it has been. It's not just a mess in our generation. This world has been in a mess for 6,000 years. You have, you have men with sin natures who are apart from God trying to operate on this world. That will lead to a mess. It does. And sometimes we blame what goes on. We put that blame on God. 
you have to know and have to believe that he is good. I mean, let's say people are constantly looking for good people in their life. and that, That's not a bad thing. I mean, a woman looks for a, a good husband, a good man to be her husband. One that will respect her, love her, not beat her and use her. A, a man looks for a good woman who will respect him and love him. We look to have good friends in our life. Ones that so, show a measure of loyalty and trust. Friends we can enjoy being around. I wish Bob was here right now because I had a really good Bob comment right there, but now I can't do it. We look for good leaders in government. But the reality is I can go on and on with the stuff I've listed here, what we look for, where we try and find goodness. But most of the time, we end up disappointed. We do. Why? One, the Bible says, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. That's the reality of it. You know, how many times have we, maybe we voted some of the office and we think this is the answer and they just let us down. Or, or all of a sudden, that, that, that person you marry, it doesn't work out. It's not going the way that you expected. But as the Bible tells us, the one who is good is God. He cannot be any other way. Again, sometimes I believe we forget just how good he is. He's not some evil dictator. He's not, it's, it's almost like sometimes people try and view God in that sense. He's not. I mean, think how the Bible describes how good God is, how he's full of compassion, full of mercy, long-suffering, grace. Do you understand that as sinful creatures, those are all the things we need from God in order to have a relationship with him. You remove one of those, we can't have it. Creation itself shows us how good God is. Think how he ended it, every part of creation. As he's creating, and he saw that it was good. Why? He knew where he was going with creation. He knew that he was going to create man in his image. He knew the whole point of, of all this that he brought into existence centered on us. That he, was, he, he had made the decision in his sovereignty to create us in his image. To have that relationship, to have that fellowship. And then all that he put into creation for it. Again, you hear me talking about all the time, whether, whether you're standing, uh, looking at the ocean, or at night looking at the stars, or the northern lights here in Alaska that just make you just go, wow. All that is demonstrating God's goodness. The cross is his greatest demonstration of his goodness. In the cross you see so much taking place there. You see mercy, compassion, justice, holiness, all coming to pass on that cross in God himself becoming sin for us. Why did he do that? Because he is good. Nahum talked about how this he was recognizing God's goodness and the fact that he was a stronghold in a day of trouble. Listen, trouble comes into our life. What's important is where you flee for protection from that trouble. You're going to go somewhere. You are. You've got to see God's goodness in that as a result. He is that stronghold. 
People run to all kinds of different sources when trouble hits. Drugs, alcohol, family. Most of those things simply are not good or they are weak and cannot genuinely help or genuinely protect you. But the Lord is good and He is powerful. He is the true stronghold. Again, you can think this almighty God who is good desires to have a relationship with you. He wants the closeness. He wants you to draw close to Him. He wants you to see the goodness. Because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. To draw you closer. For time's sake, I'm not going to turn there. We can go to John chapter 10 and how Christ elaborates on His relationship to us from, from, from the Good Shepherd, the door all that's there dealing with God's goodness and trying to get us closer to Him. How He protects us, He feeds us, He guides us. And then lastly, this one's important. Let's go to James chapter 4. This is the one I want to get to. I won't, I, I won't be long here, but this is the one. I'll try and draw out the main things that I believe will be a genuine help. James chapter 4. We know He is our portion. We know He is good. The theme of it was drawing closer to God, a closer walk. I want you to know this. God desires you to draw close to Him. Think about that. The Creator of the universe. You ever, you ever just think about His power again in that, in that He just spoke it and it was in, it, 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 things existed? I mean, he just spoke it and all the stars were there. That's just incredible to think about that level of power. And to think that same God, with all that power, desires a close relationship with you. It, it's mind-boggling. Look, look at verse number 8. He's in, James is given a series of instruction here. I just want to focus on, on part of verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. The Lord wants you to draw closer to Him, to draw nigh to Him, to determine, I'm going to get closer to God. Listen, drawing nigh to God, I'm going to try and make a difference here, is different than submitting to God. It's different. Um, drawing nigh to God is not the same thing as submitting to God. You can submit to something without drawing nigh to it. You can. A wife can submit to her husband without ever being close to him. She can be obedient for the sake of being obedient, yet not have a closeness. The Lord desires a closeness in the relationship, a drawing nigh. We've heard this, I've used this illustration before, and I know I've heard it a few times, but it's, it's very good. A couple has been married, I don't know, 40, 50 years. They're driving down the road, and, and uh, she looks over at him, and she says, you know, we used to sit right next to each other in this car. And he looked at her and said, I haven't moved. Did you get that? He's driving. He can't move. Same thing I think the Lord says to us. There was a closeness. He's not the one who's moved. He desires the closeness. It's us. God Almighty desires you to draw close to him. 
But have you thought about this? Let me ask this question. Think about this. This is what I want to get to. How do we measure distance between us and God? If I'm dealing with using the imagery of drawing close to God, how do we measure the distance? I mean, think about that. Do we measure it in miles and feet? How do we do this? How do we determine the distance with a God who's omnipresent? You see, the drawing nigh is not dealing with physical distance, but with spiritual, with a relational distance. Again, there's spouses who live in the same house, yet they're miles apart from each other. God doesn't simply want your obedience. Please understand that. He wants your closeness. Now, you're not going to have the closeness without obedience. You're not. I and mean, we've got people trying to do that all day, and they are running the race in vain, as the Bible describes it. That's true. But God just doesn't want your obedience. He wants the relationship. <clears throat> Some men have thought to seek distance from God. Think about it. Adam is an example of that. Remember when he said? He went and hid. He wanted some distance between him and God. And that teaches us something. Let's look at another example. Somebody who wanted distance from God. Jonah. Jonah wanted distance from God. God told him, listen, I need you to head to Nineveh. And Nineveh, again, we went through this. That was the, that, that was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were the terrorists of the day. He, he probably had friends like he tortured and killed from these people. And God said, now I want you to go preach there. He, I'm not doing it, God. And he tries to get away from God. To put distance between him and God. You see, Adam sought distance because of shame. He wanted distance from God. Shame does it every time. You allow shame to come in, you want distance from God. It's true every time. Jonah sought distance because of disobedient to the will of God. He didn't want it. And he sought distance from God. So that teaches us then how we measure Distance from God. It's not in miles, it's in morality. That's how you begin to deal with your relationship and distance to God, is your morality. It starts there. Your character is the revealer of the distance between you and God. And listen to me. The farther you get from God, it changes how you view God. Just like the closer you draw to him, it changes more how you view him. So how do we draw closer to God? One, as we see in James chapter 4, we take the first step. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Even though we are the ones who have sinned, we are the ones who have failed, and we are the ones who have turned away. If you'll take the first step towards Him, He'll draw an eye to you. Think, what parable comes to mind? The prodigal son. Isn't that amazing to read? Think about that. Here He is, this complete, stubborn, rebellious, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. He's been hearing all the stories from the world. I know my dad. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I I want to experience this. And the father knows. He truly knows it's wrong. 
Is this going to hurt you? You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're thinking. It's wrong. It's destructive. Nobody heard the stories from the people that passed through of all the partying that's going on, how great this is. All the justifications coming into his mind. No, just give me what's mine. The father agrees. Fine. Take it. He heads out into a far country. Oh, man, he had pleasure in sin for a season, didn't he? Boy, this is great. When he, you can just see in the first couple of months, the first couple of years, oh, yeah, he's enjoying that sinful flesh. But the day comes, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. The season ended. He realizes he's beginning to see the error of his way. You can, you can, by the way, we can tie this back into the book of Proverbs about the book of Proverbs trying to spare us from having to learn this through experience. And, and he's, he's wasted his substance. Everything he had is now gone. He, he, he's starving. He's, he's working this horrible, wretched job, eating the same food as pigs. And then it says he came to himself. And there's a humbling here. Again, that's always the first step of getting right with God is a humbling. Whether it's salvation, whether it's, it's just getting right with him, a humbling occurs. He came to himself. Do you know how humbling had to be for him to go back to dad and say, man, you are right. I have messed up so bad. But he came to himself. And he even said, I, I just want to be one of my dad's servants. He didn't expect his dad to really restore his position as his son even. He says, I have to go back. And then, guess who had been looking for him? Just waiting for him to draw nigh. His dad. There he is, he's coming. His dad sees him. And you could just see the imagery that Christ was drawing for us. Running out to him. Could, could you imagine the son? How humbling it would be with the father greeting him like he did. Say, listen, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I can't believe how I treated you. I was so wrong. It was horrible. I've lost so much. And his dad just says, no. Bring the ring, put it on his finger. Bring the robe. The son realizing now the goodness of his dad. The mercy he showed. The compassion he showed. What he had to do was draw an eye. Take the first step. The first step. When it's genuine, that's when you begin to understand the Lord is long-suffering with you. Full of compassion, mercy, grace. Let me ask you a question about that prodigal son when he returned. Do you think he had such a strong desire to please his dad after that? To draw close to him? Oh, he did. There's no doubt about it. Because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. We do need to draw close to God. We take that first step realizing just how good he is and that what the prodigal son realized that day when his dad greeted him, get this, is that is his portion. It wasn't the substance. It wasn't the things. It was the relationship to his dad. That's what's important. 
is that? With heads bowed and eyes closed.